What's up, everybody? Welcome to Mr. Haircut, episode 1.2. Today, we will be continuing the conversation Jonathan Green and I had last time. So if you haven't listened to episode one yet, go back and listen to that, and this will make a whole lot more sense. We're going to feature some great music today, some of which Jonathan and I recorded in the studio while we taped this, and also another recording from our band RK3 at a recent concert. By the way, if you want to hear any of this music again, you can check out our website, mrhaircut.org, where we put up videos of all the tunes and other special content to enhance the five-dimensional Mr. Haircut experience. But first... Yeah, everything is golden. Nice. Okay, so back to it. So back to it. Uh, I don't remember exactly where we were, but I wanted to talk about... Um, oh, so you had said that you feel like it's your job to bring it back. I Yeah, um, and I want to clarify that, because I feel like your thing with solos was a little different. Mm-hmm. Because when we are playing, and would say, the Russell Kelly Trio, yeah. those are songs. Yeah. Right? Which means that they already are an idea. Right. right? Um, I'm not saying that they always have to come back. Because sometimes, like, for um, when I play at the Whiskey Box mm-hmm. with uh, Daniel and Court... Everyone stays from 8 to 11. (laughs) (laughs) Stick as many plugs as we can in there. (laughs) Um, Daniel invents endings. Yeah. And I dig the crap out of that. Yeah. yeah. Right? So in that that case, it's just like whatever he wants to do. Right? But at that point, the song is sort of over. Right. Right? Lately, we've been merging songs together. Like last night, we played Smells Like Teen Spirit into Hello. Mm Mm-hmm. Or we'll do Come Together and um, we do Come Together and Little Sunflower together. Yeah. Uh, and most of the time, it'll either be going into or coming out of, what's that uh, White Stripes tune that we do? Um, Seven, Nation, Seven Army. Nation Army. Right. So we've been trying to be a little bit more creative with that, like sort yeah. of coming up with medleys on the on the fly. Um, but that created that takes a type of communication that only people that are kind of used to playing together, I think can do smoothly. Yeah. Um, but what I mean is when things go so far out and I feel like, because, you know, not everybody's there for that. Mm-hmm. Um, with the solos thing, if you guys started as an improv and you guys do the different things every night, you guys already build up a reputation for the people that come and see you, and they expect that sort of uh, spontaneity and, and all that kind of thing, right? That's your your base. That's your that's your yeah. group. Um, with Carmines or or any other gig like that, I feel like that's great. But I want to make sure that I don't lose people, too. So it's more about striking a balance between structure and not structure right. for me. Right. And I think those there there can be a balance. I think that one doesn't have to be able... You don't have to give up one for another in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. I totally agree with that. In fact, some of my favorite improv to listen to is... uh. 
the Robert Glasper experiment. Sure. And they always keep the form. I mean, mm-hmm. they'll go way out on these tangents, mm-hmm. but they've always got the form and they'll always just come right back in with it. And it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I dig that. What, what I like to do though, and maybe I just need to book my own shows mm-hmm. and just tell everybody that we're going to do this. Um, I like to, to use, say if we were playing a song, I would like to use that as a starting point mm-hmm. and then abandon it. Okay. So it, I think what loses people in that kind of improv situation is when you get spacey and noodly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what loses people rather than straying from the song. Sure. Um, so like in Solos, the band I used to play with, uh, we kept it, you know, we kept the energy up the whole time. So right. we would be going through all these different changes, all these different feels and keys, mm-hmm. but there would always be that energy there. So there was right. never like a noodly kind of ambiguous moment. Okay. We were hitting the whole time. Um, How long did it take to get to that, or was it that from the start? It was that from the start. Okay. We just, um, yeah, it was kind of it was an improv gig. We just kind of picked up and started playing at this coffee shop, and it progressed from there. But mm-hmm. there was never a point where we were playing tunes. Okay. Up until like the last year of the band. Sure. So, because my thing is again personnel. I feel yeah. like if you do it on a jam night or something where there's really no driving force and it's happened at bowls yeah. where people will get up and it'll be jammy but it'll be noodly and directionless and yeah i agree that's boring yeah you know it's only when sort of everybody kind of has the same sort of mind and goes in together uh, and that really has more to do to me with everybody instinctively knowing what their role is in that moment mm-hmm. right because everyone can't lead at the same time you know, it's like, okay, for instance, let's say Carmine's um, and, and you and Russell just start playing off of each other. Yeah. It may not be possible in theory, like just by looking at it to tell who started that first. Right. And But I feel like that was a subconscious decision that uh, sort of happened because those types of moments are emergent processes of, of jams. They ha- as long as you're open to do that, they happen spontaneously. But if you go back and we listen to it, I guarantee you we could figure out who went there first, mm-hmm. right? And so I don't mean leading and following as being sort of like this person is the leader and everyone follows him. I mean learning how to to jump on that wave and finding your place in that wave of inspiration in the moment and not sort of and not asserting your ego to the moment and I think that's what I mean
think that everybody needs to know what their role is in the moment. Yeah. Um, and I think that means whether or not you're more of the driver, more of the uh, because creativity. <laughs> I hate to sort of use like pseudo spiritual terms, but if creativity was a spirit, and you had um, a bunch of people like playing together, it it possesses people to varying degrees. Yeah. Um, as far as what's being focused on, right? And that wave of creativity, if it's this sort of organic thing, won't fully be on one person or another at any given moment. Right. But the priority will shift. Right. And so depending on what the wave of creativity is doing, you have to be sensitive to kind of uh, what your place is in, in that form. Totally. So and that's really what I meant. Yeah. Um, because I, I'm trying to get away from the idea of leaders and followers here mm. because that that makes no sense if it's always changing. If it's always if it's truly living organic thing. Yeah. Um, and and spontaneous. And spontaneous, right? Right. Because then then that means if you if you think about leaders and followers, then that's almost the opposite of what I was trying to say, which is it can't be about ego. It can't be about self. Right. Yeah, you have to abandon all that. Yeah. And that, for me, um, I guess I've just done it so much, but that goes out the window immediately. Sure. I mean, as soon as I start playing a song, um, I'm not thinking about the audience. I'm not thinking about how anybody perceives me. Um, I'm completely in the moment. Sure. I mean, everything else just shuts down. Right. Um, and, and I think that's what everybody uh, strives to. Yeah. I feel like when I was practicing and when I started playing, I, I the first thing I noticed is why don't I sound as good right. <laughs> alive as <laughs> right. I do in my practice room? Yeah, and and you don't have an audience in your practice room, right? You know, right. it's like when you're recording, and you know, red light syndrome. If for those of you that don't know, is that mental block that goes up whenever the record button is hit, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like you can't do things that you full well know that you can do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's that self-conscious critic that you seem to lack, and I'm really jealous for you <laughs> lacking that because I am one of the most self-conscious people when it comes to playing. Yeah, and it's not that I lack it. Um, it's just I've learned that when I'm playing, it, there's no place for it. Sure. So I've just kind of learned how to get to that place almost instantly. Um, one of the most important things I've I've read about improvisation is by an improv comedy group. Um, and one of their rules is you can't say no. So, and I've found that's key for in improvising music too. Sure. You can't say no to an idea. So if somebody proposes something musically, mm -hmm. you go with it, no sure. matter what it is, whether you like it or not, or whether you want to take it in a different direction or not. Right. There's no, there's no place for no. As soon as you even start to think that or mm -hmm. start to, mentally disagree mm -hmm. it's gone you know the whole thing's out the window sure um it's all about <clears throat> and this goes for life as well as an improvised musical jam but it's all about acceptance you know you accept what's happening in the moment um say you start playing in seven there's no space for me to say oh i don't want to play in seven right, right now or i don't know where the one is anymore right i've just got to play right i've just got to let it happen there's no you know it's an immediate yes, everything that happens. Yeah. I'll buy that. 
Yeah. Um, and I may talk about it after it's done. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's good. I think that's important, too, is listening back and critiquing yourself and right. saying, oh, man, that was terrible. Right. Which is what I usually say. Listening but, to myself. Okay, okay. So, and I know this is an in, improv podcast, but I also want to talk about how that rubs up against other parts of our lives, like being a studio musician or being in cover band or being hired to do a specific job. Right. Because there is a part of yourself that you compartmentalize that is a structured, uh, disciplined musician. Right. To do a job. So how can you switch hats? That's a very good question. It's it's a totally different thing. Uh, Like we were in the studio recording with Bill Stevens the other day, and that was a whole different experience. Like there was very little improv in that. Um, you know, maybe the first time we played through it, I was improvising, just trying to get some ideas. Mm -hmm. But after that, I pretty much had a set idea in my head of what I wanted, the notes I wanted to play, how I wanted to play them. Sure. Um, because you're right, this is a whole different experience. It's a whole different job. Sure. Um, and especially as a bass player, I've got to be, you know, bass and drums. We have to be the most on of anybody. Sure. Okay. I mean, yeah, I just wanted to know what you thought, because that line is not as clear to me. Yeah, um, because it's something it's a it's a thing that I carry with me on all of my gigs. Yeah. You know, how do I sound? Is this the right thing to do at the moment? Yeah. And I feel like all of the musicians that I listen to, whether they think it or not, I think that whatever they're doing is the right decision. Mm hmm. And I wonder sometimes if I could go into Jack DeJanet's brain and if he thinks a little bit like I think, or if he thinks like you think. Maybe he's just so old and seasoned um, and he's been playing at that high level for so long yeah. that he's thinking, eh, this is this is tonight and tomorrow's another night and you know, right. just enjoy and have fun. Or is he thinking, man, I shouldn't have did that. Why in the world did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that he thinks that very much. <laughs> You know, but not just him. Like yeah. everybody that we and we come to admire and yeah. we uh, we look up to.
So, um, candid moment here because yeah. we, we talk um, outside of this podcast, <laughs> and um, you have at times expressed frustration um, with people that are unwilling to go yeah. to that space. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with that? Very passive aggressively. <laughs> <laughs> As long as we're being honest here. <laughs> no, I've actually become a lot more vocal about it. Um, because I do, I play with a lot of people who are sometimes just unaware of mm-hmm. of this space that we're talking about. Like, sure. uh, like Russ is so aware of it. He's so ready to just take it out, to just abandon form, abandon mm-hmm. everything, and just play. Sure. Um, but most people aren't. Um, and... I think I do it, I push them musically a lot. So sure. sometimes I will play something unexpected sure. just to kind of snap them out of what, whatever they're doing mm-hmm. and make them listen. Sure. Um, and I feel like on most gigs that I play, I make a lot of mistakes. Okay. But I'm continually getting better. Sure. Um, because I don't continue to make the same mistakes. Sure. Um, so even if every gig I play sounds like shit, I'm... You know, right? The, I'm still getting better every time. So, um, as far as vocally, that's the passive aggressive part. You know, I've I've talked to some people individually. You know, pulled them aside and said, "Hey, when I'm doing this kind of thing, you should do this kind of thing." Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really not about that. It's really about abandoning that fear of stepping out of the box. Sure. Um, which is not something you can really teach somebody who doesn't want to learn. Right. Um, and I remember having a similar conversation with you when we first started playing together, um, because it was beat into my head, this sort of jazz, uh, perspective on bass solos, Yeah, you know, and it makes sense when you have an upright bass to sort of get out of the way because it's yeah. not a loud instrument. Yeah. Um, so, but I approached all my bass solos that way, just sort of kind of get out the way and just let him or let you do what you need to do. And you were very adamant about like, you know, keep it going, keep the, yeah. keep the groove going. And so, um, I don't know, man. I feel like playing with musicians, specifically musicians that you play with every week like we do, Mm -hmm. it's a lot, it's about conversations like that. It's like a relationship. Yeah. You know, once you get past the uh, honeymoon phase, as it were, (laughs) you have to talk about real life. You have to be open about you know, your likes and your dislikes, what bugs you, what you think can be better. And, yeah. you know, the success of a relationship really deals with how you mitigate those sorts of conflicts. Yeah. Um, and so it's so important to know the type of people that you're playing with um, when you have those weekly gigs. Because, you can, because you're going to be out of the honeymoon phase pretty fast, mm-hmm. right? I, you see musicians and you may have a jam and it just may go smooth. You know, really, really well, and it was the easiest thing in the world, and they all could be strangers because music is a unifying force like that. Yeah. But you put those same guys in in a room and say that you guys are going to be playing together every single week. I yeah. guarantee you that within a couple of weeks, you're going to figure out what you like and what you don't like about those musicians. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's a great analogy, man. The relationship analogy, because that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And successful bands are the ones that talk about things verbally, right. you know, outside of the jam. Right. And say, hey, I like this. I don't like this. Right. You should put on deodorant before we play. Um, 
those kind of things. Yes. You should put Amen. on, John, you should put on deodorant before we play. Okay. <laughs> no. I'll, I'll do my best. Um, I know that I've been getting more stinky as I get older and uh, trying to fix that, man. Yeah. You'll get there, man. Get you'll get there. there. It takes practice. It takes practice. Every day. Consistency. I need, I need all, of the, all of the deodorant, all of it. <laughs> Um, I will not wear Axe because, well, okay, I wore an Axe maybe twice, and that was in an emergency, um, but I don't like Axe body spray. I'm killing our sponsors, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm killing all of our chances for sponsors. Man, I was going for Axe, too. That was the one. That was the one I wanted. Um, I just wanted to do one of those commercials. Right, so I, I'm an Old Spice guy, thanks to Terry Crews. Yeah, okay. I feel you, man. We're talking about relationships, yeah, and fans talking, um, bass solos, bass solos. That's what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> that's the one, yeah. And okay, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, that's a topic that I really want to talk about with everybody who plays music in the world. Um, so, bass solos in let's say the 1930s and 40s, when you had an upright bass in a big band. It was basically inaudible most of the time. Right. And then when that bass player wanted to solo, everybody had to stop playing and, you know, silence their cell phones and, you know, be really, really quiet so you could hear the bass player going. Right. Um, and it's the most boring thing in the world. I mean, I love bass solos and I love bass players, and there's some amazing players from that time period who I listen to. Um, but. As a general rule, bass solos are incredibly boring to me. Um, and and I, My eyebrows went up. That's why you started laughing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and most of the time when it happens, say on a straight-ahead gig, it's when everybody starts talking to their friends and goes and gets a drink. And, right. Um, Except think, for Court because he dances too. Yeah, Court's fun to watch and, and an amazing player. And it's a, I'm not talking about their lack of... Of ability on the bass or their lines or anything else about it. It's just when everybody goes and the guitar player goes because I I love hearing bass players and I want them to shine. You know, I want to I want to enjoy listening to a bass solo. I want for there to be a lot of energy and for it to be a high point. But the problem is that bass is just you know at least the upright bass is just not designed as a solo instrument. It's really hard to play a, a convincing solo on a bass that said there's a you know tons of people who can do it and do it very well um but what irritates me is when the band is when the energy drops when the groove goes away and the energy drops um so i tell everybody that i play with um that when i take a solo i can just turn up the volume on my electric bass and it'll cut through anything that's going on but i won't for for the groove to stay there you know i want for if anything the energy can drop down at the beginning and then build like right. you would in any other solo right um but you know i can compensate for the volume that's not a problem i think the thing is is most people aren't used to most guitar players keyboard players whatever are not used to providing an the entire groove right so say we're playing in a three-piece band drums bass guitar um when the guitarist is taking a solo I hold down the groove and the harmony 
Um, Which is a rare thing. Um, <laughs> and you know it's a rare thing um, because most bass players don't think like guitar players. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I just wanted to point that out. John Ray <laughs> can play a duo gig with a singer and and you won't miss a bass, a guitar player or a keyboard player. So, I probably told you... You talk, had the bass solo talk with you maybe a year ago, yeah, a little more, and and you instantly just stepped up. And it's, every time I take a solo, there's a groove, there's a pocket, something for me to play over. But even so, when there's a guitar player going, right, <laughs> you know, there's there there's no groove, there's no right. one, there's nothing for me to sit on, right, nothing for me to play over. And that that's cool sometimes, you know, right. like maybe once a night it might be cool to break it down that much. Sure. But for the most part, I want to solo over a groove, you know, sure. something interesting, some energy, something happening. Right. Um, so I hope you're taking notes out there, all you musicians listening to this. That, that play with us and probably yeah. think we're throwing shade without <laughs> <laughs> mentioning right. names. Yeah. Don't, don't let up when it's bass solo time. Groove. If anything, you got to groove harder because there's no bass player holding down the groove. So this is the uh, Mr. Haircut, Bitch and Moan podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing another problem I've got with people <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> um, alright so I think that we're going to wrap it up for today and cool. play a, a recording from the same gig as the tune we used at the end of the last podcast this is RK3 with Russell Kelly on guitar and Jonathan and myself on drum and bass this is a classic from Joe Jonas's band DNCE. That's dance, but without an A. And yes, he used to have a band with his brothers called the Jonas Brothers. Once again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Mr. Haircut. I'm John Ray in the studio with Jonathan Green in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Please check out our website at mrhaircut.org, where you can find recordings of all of our episodes and download the tunes we play on the show. Also, if you like Mr. Haircut, please consider reviewing us on iTunes or Stitcher. If you don't like Mr. Haircut, don't listen to Mr. Haircut. <laughs>